and thank you for joining us for In All Things, a weekly podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the EPC. The motto of our family of congregations is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. Thank you, Rachel, and welcome, friends. Great to have you sitting around the table. That's where most good conversations occur, and we are sitting around a table here at the EPC Global Command Center in Orlando, Florida. We have a number of folks in town from different places around the country who are part of what the EPC calls the Church Health Coordinators. Uh, Each one of our 16 presbyteries has a Church Health Coordinator that churches can avail themselves of so that they can be healthy. And we're in a, a series where we're talking about that. And today we're delighted to have with us Richie Cable, who is the lead pastor at Gashland EPC Church in Kansas City, Missouri. He is one of the church health coordinators for the Presbytery of Mid-America. And he's got some other interesting things, which we'll get into probably toward the end of our conversation. But Richie, glad to have you here and in all things. Hey, Dean. It's great to be here. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, before we get into our conversation, which I think you're going to find really fascinating, I just want to remind you that uh, church health is one of the four gospel priorities of the evangelical Presbyterian church. Uh, Sometimes you see that listed as transformation. The idea that a church, in order to be transformed, it must be transformed in order to be able to help lead the transformation of others. And ideally, You have a transformed pastor who's leading a congregation to transform people or helping people who need transformation find the transforming power of the gospel in Jesus Christ. That might be a a kind of a simple way of putting it all together in one sentence, but it's obviously a lot more complex than that. There are a lot of things that the church health coordinators do. One of the things that they do, and this is kind of a cutting edge thing for them right now, is they're in the process of recruiting training and equipping coaches, which are people in those presbyteries that can go out and work alongside of a congregation to help coach them through anything from a transitional process, whether self-assessments to other tools that might be evangelistic tools or other things to help them continue to be transformative churches. And so um, it's not just kind of a, here's the uh, principles and here's the resources, go go at it yourself. Uh, We have people increasingly being trained and deployed who exist to simply come alongside of congregations and help coach them in that process. So it's not a one and done, but it's an ongoing relationship. And I think Presbyterianism, when it's done well, is at its core connectional vis-a-vis relationships, a, a common foundational reform theology, which we center around and build relationships where we hold one another accountable. And in the EPC, since our mission is to carry out the Great Commission. Um, We want to hold one another accountable to how we do that. And healthy churches are living into the calling of the EPC's mission, which is to embody the Great Commission. And so I just want to remind you to get in touch with your church health coordinator. You can go to epc.org and look up about us, and you can go down and scroll through and find presbyteries. And from those presbyteries, when you pull up those presbytery sites, the church health coordinator is listed on those presbytery websites, and you can reach out to them directly and say, our congregation would like to have a coach, someone to come alongside of us and help us as we become a transforming body, helping in the transformation of others by the power 
of the gospel. Okay, so enough of our pseudo-commercial for the day, but it, it gives us a nice little tee-off into our conversation today with Richie Cable. And Richie, as our audience uh, gets to know you a little bit, tell us a little bit about your faith journey. Uh, how did you come to Christ, and how did uh, the Lord lead you to the point where my memory is is that you went to school with a kind of business and marketing background, right, right. Um, but you ended up as a pastor, which uh, is an interesting journey. So we'd love to hear just a little bit about that. I grew up going to a church where I heard a lot about uh, Moses and Noah, a lot of stories of the Old Testament, a lot of stories of the New Testament, but I never heard about Jesus. I never heard about the cross. And so when I went to a summer camp, it's the first time I heard of the gospel, and I responded. I was nine years old, and then the rest of my childhood was this going up and down. Uh, I would have this high in the summer, and then I'd go back and would be lacking spiritual nourishment during the school year. And so I was maybe 16, and um, the president of the camp said, hey, why don't you read the Bible when you're not here as a way of being nourished. And I remember that was the first time I'd even thought or heard of that uh, idea. And so that was the first time I started opening the Bible, reading it for myself, and kind of fell in love. I remember sitting under the covers as a kid, I guess teenager, reading with a little flashlight. And so my faith really began to grow leaps and bounds at that point. Went to Baylor University, Sikkim Bears. And it, was, it was there that I got involved with a youth ministry, and my heart really connected with, with that. And it church ministry. And then my senior year at Baylor, I got connected with a church that was very EPC-ish in its belief, but it was an independent church, and, uh, but reformed and covenantal. And that's when my heart really connected with the church and began to have a sense that I was really wanting to serve the church rather than parachurch ministries. And that was just the way I felt the Lord kind of leading me at that uh, moment. So I was a marketing major, and I really didn't have a sense of what I was going to do with that. I thought that I would probably be in youth ministry for a couple of years and then go into the business world. But I'm really appreciative for my marketing background. I was able to even now connect and understand, you know, business people in the church, be able to connect with them and talk their language and also understand some of the, just when you're running an organization, it's helpful to have some of that knowledge as well. So from there, went to Covenant Seminary, began to learn and grow a lot in areas of uh, the Reformed tradition and took my first call at an EPC church in Louisiana. All right. And it might be another podcast for another day to talk about, you know, the relationship between marketing and business and church, because some people want to say, you know, what does Rome have to do with Athens or, <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. But my favorite quote from Abraham Kuyper, which is kind of the philosophical framework behind this podcast, in a sense, Kuyper says, there's not one square inch of the entire creation in which the sovereign does not look and declare mine. Yeah. So if we understand all of those things belong under his lordship, then there has to be a way not only to have that conversation to relate to your elders who work in the business world, but also to understand that those principles under the examination of scripture can can serve the church uh, yeah. as well. So, But that's maybe another conversation for another day. I'd because, love to have that one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we'll make note <laughs> to self. We're going to have you back to have that uh, marketplace conversation. But you've landed at uh, Gashland EPC mm -hmm. in Kansas City, as I mentioned earlier, and, and you served in a previous church. But the Lord's the way he's shaped you. You've seemed to have landed 
in what we might classically refer to as revitalization projects, existing yeah. churches that need a, a breath of fresh air to come in and, and reanimate them, if you will. And your particular gifting that you bring to our church health coordinators is a particular, the congregations that you've served give you a particular angle to church health. Could you dig into that a little bit? I didn't have any thought that church revitalization would be It wasn't even on my radar, and at the first call, the church I was at, uh, Grace Presbyterian Church in Alexandria, Louisiana, uh, the senior pastor had been there uh, 35 years. He was working on his demon, and when he got to a class that essentially was on church health revitalization, he had this kind of revelation that, wow, my church has plateaued. So he engaged me and said, hey, I'd like for you to undertake this church revitalization project, and he certainly was a part of it, but because he had been there so long, he wanted some fresh eyes to kind of both look at it and kind of lead that project. So There's a tremendous amount of wisdom there. I mean, that's another podcast, perhaps, to talk about senior leadership, recognizing younger leadership, and understanding those kind of things, and having the humility to be able to empower you to be able to help lead in a way like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And had that not happened, I, this part of me that was unearthed maybe never would have been unearthed. But it was interesting. As we began that process, my heart fell in love with just the idea of trying to care for a church that's hurting, a church that's in need of health and revitalization. And so when I began to have a sense of call that the Lord was maybe calling me to be a senior pastor, the ministry positions that were attractive to me were really those where the the church was hurting. And uh, Gashlin was a wonderful church, uh, had been for many decades, but they were in a season that was challenging and some difficulty that they were going through. And I think that as other candidates heard of these challenges, they were kind of scared away. And like, and the more I heard, the more I was like, oh, wow, can this, yeah, what else can you tell me that's bad about this? (laughs) Because I was excited about what the Lord could do in that. So there's a there's an interesting sidebar there, Richie, that yeah. maybe we'll come back to is that kind of a brief aside for those who are on pastor nominating committees. It's not always about presenting like this rosy colored picture, right. like, you know, uh, because I think most pastors, when they get close enough, can smell for themselves whether it's a whitewashed tomb or not, you know. So it's kind of like honesty and transparency is is usually more attractive to a pastor than trying to kind of put on this facade that maybe you even believe, but maybe isn't altogether that accurate as what's going on. When I came to Memorial Park, they had been without a pastor for about two years, and the head of the PNC, when they got down to the point where it looked pretty serious, like it was me and them, and he said to me, well, if you're really going to be our pastor, you probably need to know our dirty laundry. And he went into it pretty deep, and it didn't make me run. Uh, it actually did the opposite. In my role as church health coordinator, I've been meeting with a session in Mid-America, and that was one of the things I told them is they were they're looking for a pastor. And I said, well, just be honest. Like, you need to put some of these things forward because there will be people that will, that will resonate with them. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you're a pastor coming into a, a church that has had a painful transition or has gone through something that's been really hard like that, what are some of the things you're looking for 
that are pastoral cues or principles that you would kind of seek to, to, to help that congregation become what God has, has made them to be? Probably the reason my heart first resonated with church health revitalization is I saw the biblical nature of it when it was introduced to me from the book of Revelation chapter 2, and Jesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus. I think it's beautiful because he says very clearly, you know, I like this about you and this I have against you. And so it was very clear, okay, these are things, those seven churches are a beautiful way for churches to learn kind of what's good and what's not good. But in that first message there to the church in Ephesus, there were three principles. And the very first one probably answers the question you just asked, which is, and Jesus tells them to remember from where they have fallen. And there is something very healthy about the remembering aspect of things that, especially if you're in a season of difficulty, one thing we did at Gashlin is we spent a lot of time trying to actually celebrate the past and where we had seen God at work. So we didn't want to live in the past, but I think it's important. And I think this is important for any pastor taking a church that's been in existence. You know, God didn't show up in the driveway when you got there. And so being able to look back and go, wow, there's some things that we need to celebrate, not to set up some monument that we worship, but just say, Lord, thank you. And uh, this has been good. So I think part of healing comes in being able to celebrate the past and recognize God was at work. God has done some things, kind of like the 12 stones that Joshua had them set up so that later they would be able to tell their kids, hey, look what God did. He can do it again. He can provide. And so just a basic biblical study is go through the Bible and look up every time you see the word remember. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I mean, the Israelites in particular are always told to remember because it's looking back that you see God's faithfulness. Mm -hmm. So that would be kind of that first principle would be remember. And then the idea of repent, the repent piece is pretty important because when you remember, you're going to see some good things you want to celebrate, but you're also going to see some areas of needed repentance. And the importance of being able to walk straight up to past sin, past difficulty, call it for what it is, and then be able to deal with it. A lot of times we, even personal conflict, we either create a triangle or we go around and we, you know, we try to not deal with it. But being able to say, okay, this, this is something we need to confess. This is something that is holding us back. And then repentance. And depending on what it is, repentance can look like a lot of different things that you might need to, to do some work in. And then the, the final thing of that word of Jesus to the church in Ephesus is recover. And so for Ephesus, they had left their first love. And I think that often happens. And that's certainly one of the things that it could be. But recovering those things that first love, recovering things perhaps that were lost during challenges, during struggles. And that very simple framework for me, that was very healthy for us at Alexandria in Louisiana, but it was also a really helpful framework when we were at, at Gashland. And those three words came from Harry Reader, which were really helpful for me early on in learning about church health and revitalization, and it dovetails really nicely into what we're doing here at the EPC. Remember, repent, and recover. Yeah. All right. It's helpful for me as three R's there. Yeah. That's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> so I think about when I first came to Memorial Park Church, they referred to themselves as a flagship church. It was the biggest church in the presbytery of our previous denomination, And what I realized in that statement is there was a lot of pride. It was a a fluent, highly educated, with a lot of professionals. There was a sense to which if you moved to Pittsburgh and you were trying to get a deal done, you better be a part of 
if you lived in the North Hills, at least you need to be a part of that church, right? And so I realized that, that the sin that we needed to address was one of pride. Mm. I didn't have to do a lot of work there because I think their thought was is that when my predecessor left, the church was by all external measurables pretty healthy, and yet they took them two years to find the next senior pastor, and I think they thought it was going to just happen overnight because you know, they were a flagship church. Two years kind of stripped them down a little bit when they realized maybe they weren't as healthy as they thought they were. Ultimately, that kind of repent, like we need to own you know, where we've been in a way that we celebrate, but this is who we've become that maybe is actually impeding us from reaching the lost for Christ in our community, and therefore we, we're going to recognize and own that and turn it over to God and ask him to show us something different. And that's, I guess, the recovery. Yeah, yeah. Repent and recover have some certainly concentric circles. There's some overlap there, but I think that the repentance is leaving those things, turning, and then what you're turning to is that recovery piece. If you were to sit down with a church that was in the recovery piece, what are some of the tools that the EPC church health coordinators have in their tool belt to come and help them in that process? Yeah, I mean, assessments are huge, and the church health coordinators have lots of good assessment tools because if you're going to have to recover, you're going to have to learn some of that repentance. And so there will be some things there that these are areas of weakness, these are areas of difficulty and challenge, and so these might be areas that we need to grow. So those assessment pieces are, are huge. I think that a coach, having someone come in who's a third party, who's able to look at things very fresh, something that, that's been helpful for us is that when a church comes to me and I'm engaging with them, I've actually been able to reach out to the General Assembly and they've been able to help. I think one of the things that's really important about the assessment piece is it's really principally a self-assessment. It, it's yeah. not an outsider coming in and saying, this is who you are, and then people having to be like, no, that's not who we are. <laughs> it's more you're walking them through a process where they kind of assess themselves, and at the end, it's kind of a gut check on reality, you know, where, where you're looking at it going, hold it. This is who we understand ourselves to be? Wow. And there might be a gap there between what that self-assessment produces and what is sort of the common narrative out there. You know, I think, for example, every church thinks that they're a, a friendly church. <laughs> you know, no church thinks that they're not friendly. But not all churches are great at, at welcoming people who are visiting or are new. There's a bit of an intentionality to recognizing who you are and then making whatever kind of strategic tactical adjustments have to be made in order to go you know, where you need to be. And I think both are super important. The self-assessment is, is helpful. And then Bob Stoffer tells a, a great story where he went into a, probably a church library and there, he was meeting with the leaders and he said, hey, look around, you know, does, is there anything wrong with this room? And they look around, they can't see it. And he says, oh, your picture's crooked. And they look over and they're like, it's seriously crooked. It's not just crooked, but it's, you know, it's seriously tilted. And they couldn't see it. And so I think both of those pieces together, the church health coordinator gives that other voice, but then yeah. you also have the assessment piece. And so both of those working together, I think is powerful. Well said, well said. Well, I want to, I want to finish our conversation. One of the things that's unusual about you that people don't know is that you're a filmmaker. You have a love for cinematography. You have a love for storytelling. You've actually written a screenplay and you've got a movie called The Author. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. No, absolutely. So probably the best way I can put it is that a, a friend of mine once said, I was wrestling with this sense of call to, to minister and care for a church, but also a sense of caring for 
telling stories that engage the culture. And he put it in words that maybe simplified it for me. And I've used this, that he said, you feel called to shepherd a church, but you also feel called to shepherd the culture and uh, not be the shepherd of the entire culture, but just a piece of it, you know, like try to engage and, and care for them and point them toward Christ, toward uh, scripture. And so I think for me, that, that kind of captures it. The author is a film that I wrote that is really a passion project that I wanted to be accessible to all. I don't have any desire to make Christian entertainment. I'm okay with Christians watching the film. That's great. But I wanted something that was accessible to all that would encourage people to think about, to put it in theological terms, God's sovereignty. And, you know, the average viewer is not understanding that term, but that's what it is. It's engaging is life order, is life chaos, and is there any evidence that there's an author over my life? And if there is, what are the implications of that? And so really that's the story of the author as far as the theological pitch, if I were. You know, the story pitch is a different story, but that's kind of the theological heartbeat is that I want to create films and stories that people can ask that question. It's, it's, a, it's meant to be a question. Jesus often, when he would interact with people, is that he would leave them with the question. And that would kind of allow the seed of the truth that they heard from him to be kind of kicked around in their heart, and it goes deeper and deeper. And so that's kind of my heart, my burden. And again, this comes under this kind of larger lordship of Christ over all things idea to dig down in your love for wanting to kind of help shepherd part of the culture back toward the creator. What's the trajectory for the movie? When would it potentially come out? How could people become familiar with it? Point us in the direction of where that's going. First of all, you can keep up with everything on uh, theauthormovie.com. That kind of we post things there. It had a limited release at uh, Cinemark in, uh, in Texas. And then from there, we are talking with a couple of different distributors right now and a studio that's interested in it as well. So we should have something very soon to uh, release. But my best guess is that we're looking around April of this year. But again, the, the website will have exact dates and all that. But it, it would be available on things like Amazon, iTunes, you know, the streaming places where you can go and rent and uh, watch films. Richie, it's been a, a delight to have you here. I feel like I'm getting to know you deeper. And uh, the more that happens, the more I feel like I'm the beneficiary and really being blessed by it. So thank you. Well, I appreciate it. And I'm, I'm blessed by uh, getting to know you too, Dean. Thanks. All right. So if people wanted to learn more about, uh, we know about the author, it's the, it's the author movie.com. Yep, yep. And what about uh, Gashland Church? Uh, we're at gashland.org. So. Okay. Cool. And we're on the things like Facebook and Instagram and all of that too. All right. Well, thank you, sir. And thank you everyone for listening in again to another edition of In All Things. And this has been an encouragement to you. Would you kind of like us on social? Would you share it on any of your uh, Facebook pages or Instagram or anything like that just to kind of get the word out? We're in desperate need today uh, of having healthy, good conversations about the things that matter. And uh, hopefully we help to do that every Friday when we drop one of these episodes. And if you're able to help us keep that conversation going and share that with others, it's a huge gift to us and hopefully to those with whom you share it. Well, my friends, in closing, I offer you this good word. In church, we usually end with a benediction, and the Greek word benediktos means good word, and the good word I always end with is a good word from God's word, and that is from Colossians chapter 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For in him all things were created, in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, the Greek ta pontos. There is nothing outside of ta pontos. It includes everything that is anything. All things have been created through him, and this is the whole point of a biblical worldview. They're for him. You see, he is before all things, my friends. And in him, all things hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church. Until the next time we gather around and have this conversation on In All Things, this is Dean Weaver, the State Clerk of the EPC, bidding grace and peace to you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, We hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.